Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. It's sort of a plot out of Sherlock Holmes or something like that, isn't it? And um, and the fact that um, she nearly got away with it, you know, um, and for a while there she must have thought she had. Hi, I'm Jesse Mulligan and this is Crimes NZ, a podcast where I chat with people closely involved with some of New Zealand's most notorious crimes. In this episode, we're looking into an investigation dubbed the Black Widow Case, in 2014, Helen Milner was convicted of the murder and attempted murder of her husband, Phil Nisbet. New Zealand Herald reporter Kurt Beyer covered the case. Of the hundreds of cases that I've covered over the years, this was certainly one of the most memorable ones. It, it just had everything, you know. For a start, you had a, a poisoning trial that's kind of uh, Victorian, isn't it? So, you know, it could have been out of Dickensian London, but um, <laughs> you had this captivating narrative as well with this unassuming figure accused of a, a sinister murder, a botched police investigation. You had hitmen claims. I mean, it really had it all. Yeah. So where does it begin? Where does the story begin? Well, Phil Nesbitt was found dead um, of a suspected suicide, firstly, in, in, in his Christchurch home in 2009. Um, his wife, Helen Milner, claimed she'd found a typed-up note on his nightstand, and it, and it went from there. But I, I guess that was the problem, in that um, the, the first cops um, that investigated it thought it was a suicide from the very start, and, and that's where things got difficult. Yeah. And who was he married to at the time? What do we know about his wife, Helen Milner? Yeah, so this, Helen Milner was um, Phil Nesbitt's uh, second husband and um, they were living in an area of Hallsville in Christchurch at the time. Um, and she was a, an interesting person. Um, a lot came out about her during the, the trial and um, some of her claims that she used to make about her husband and um, they obviously she didn't exactly get on that well with them. So, okay, so it was ruled a suicide, and that was that. And then what happened? So when police came to investigate, um, Milner was very distraught. Um, she claimed to have found, a, a firstly, a, a text message on her phone from him um, saying that um, he couldn't take it anymore and that he was taking his own life. Um, now, she found this um, in the presence of officers, and those first officers thought that was a bit strange, but the, the detectives who um, took up the case um, didn't look too much into it. So his his body was found uh, next to bottles of Finnegan, and we heard a very an awful lot about Finnegan, this um, antihistamine uh, drug that he was actually allergic to, and uh, it, it all went from there, really. Yeah, and uh, at some stage, his his sister Leanne Cartier got involved. How did that come about? Yeah, that's right. So Leanne came over. She was living in Queensland. She came over for the funeral, and from the start, um, as soon as um, she got there, she she didn't think things were adding up. Firstly, she didn't think that her brother was someone who would uh, take his own life, uh, and secondly, um, when she got there, uh, Milner 
produced this other suicide note. Now, this one was typed, um, but it had a, a handwritten signature, and, and she thought straight away it was faked. Um, so she decided really then and there that... Um, Things weren't adding up, and and she tried to take her claims to the to the police, but they didn't seem interested. And she decided that um, it was a case that she needed to do her own um, amateur sleuthing on. And she spent the next two years um, trying to pin her former sister-in-law. Yes, she was devoted to it. This is Leanne in 2014 talking to Catherine Ryan here on RNZ National about what drove her and how much it all cost. I just couldn't let it go, and. I'm not a detective, so I didn't know where I was looking, so I was just looking everywhere for answers. It's probably over 100000 um, if I took all my losses and in income and things like that into account as well. Yeah, so she set about trying to gather some evidence and uh, at the heart of, well, not at the heart, one sort of avenue she went down was a DNA test. Why did she pay for a DNA test and who for and why was it relevant? So she was basically trying to paint a picture of Milner as being a liar, I suppose. So she paid for a DNA test to prove that Ben, um, his son, was actually his son. Um, she'd, she'd obviously been um, spreading, some, spreading some lies around. Um, and that wasn't the only lie that she exposed. And one by one, she tried to cosy right up to um, Milner and, and get her in her confidence. So through text messages and emails, she kept talking to her, kept this correspondence going. And um, Milner would just keep digging her own hole. Um, she kept telling lies that contradicted other lies. And um, she essentially kept um, building up a case. Um, and over a couple of years, she was able to build a very strong um, case and then go back to police. But it wasn't really until um, a coroner took a look um, at uh, Mr Nisbet's death that things really uh, took a turn. Just on this DNA test, though, because this is pretty fascinating. So the DNA test was that was to prove that the victim's teenage son from an earlier marriage was really his son. Why was that even in doubt? Well, I think this was part of the um, Milner's uh, backstory. I mean, she she really wanted to be out to paint um, Nisbet in a, in a bad light. Um, I mean, during the trial, she made these outrageous claims of him being a, a male prostitute and um, being this um, sort of uh, lover boy who had affairs everywhere and fathered illegitimate children. It was just an, another aspect of her character um, where she just would make these outrageous claims. Mm. Um, Leanne, as you said, um, sort of tried to take Milner into her confidence and she had to resort to some pretty tricky tactics to get the evidence. Here she is describing what she did. It was the hardest thing to do, you know. It's, it's been totally two-faced and that's not me. And, you know, all, all I wanted to do was scream and yell and abuse her. And, you know, I had to be nice. I'd get off the phone and, and vent then. It was trying to get her to let things go to me in Texas that, I mean, she'd send me emails that contradicted true facts, so that was good. So it was just sort of keeping up that communication, um, you know, letting her make up more lies and more lies that then she was handing me the evidence off um, via text and via emails. Fair to say, Kurt, that if Leanne hadn't been involved, the, the truth might never have come out. 
Yeah, that's probably right. Um, she she did do amazing uh, dogged work, and and she she never gave up. Um, that cost her uh, a lot of money, and um, and no doubt a lot of sleepless nights. But um, yeah, she 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 really stuck at it. She wasn't actually the only one um, who had uh, her doubts. Um, Milner's son Adam Kearns, um, he also, he, he, in fact, he was telling anyone who would listen that um, his mum. <laughs> His mum had huh. killed Phil, um, and he had earlier warned Phil that um, he needed to watch himself, that she would kill him. And Nisbet sort of laughed it off, and, and Kearns always thought he was pretty naive in that respect. But um, when cops first phoned at him and said that um, his stepdad um, had been found dead, um, he thought straight away that his mum had did it. And um, later when the police officers turned up with um, her we, um, with his wedding ring and, and Adam suggested that um, his mum wear the wedding ring as a necklace and she refused. Um, he knew then that she'd definitely done it. Um, and, and that cost him um, big time as well because uh, by then Milner um, wanted to get him out of the picture as well. So she actually ended up setting him up um, by sending herself death threats, getting a fake phone and, and pretending they were from her own son um, threatening him, and he ended up um, spending, I think it was 18 or 19 um, days in jail, including his 19th birthday over that. Um, so, yeah, it really goes um, shows the extreme lengths and character. So, so he was convinced that his mother had killed her husband, and when she realised this, she framed him. Yeah, yeah, in absolutely um, uh, cold-blooded uh, fashion. I mean, um, you know, imagine setting up your own child and, and seeing them go to jail. I mean, he was still a teenager as well. Um, and he he, um, he later he later got a payout um, compensation award over that. I think it was 55 grand for the way that she tried to frame him and get him out of the picture. What sort of evidence was Leanne gathering um, about Helen Milner? Yeah, so she started talking to anyone she could really, other family members. Um, she went to the uh, workplace where Helen worked and um, spoke to her colleagues and that was when a picture really started to emerge. Um, they were telling her things like, oh, she'd always be talking about killing Phil and um, <laughs> she asked them <laughs> if Mida 10 sold rat poison and whether it could kill a person. The, the um, trial, um, while, you know, extremely serious, did have its lighter moments when they... They sort of laughed it off, really, you know, old crazy Helen. Um, they, they nicknamed her the Black Widow and joked about not eating her muffins at um, work smoko. <laughs> um, but it all it all built up in a big picture that um, she wasn't happy with her um, relationship and um, that um, she wanted him out of the picture. It seems strange. I mean, lots of this story is strange, but it seems strange that if you were planning to murder your husband that you would brag about it at work, ask people where you could find rat poison. In one case, I think, ask someone about paying them to to, to kill her husband. It seems very sloppy considering how much thought she put into other aspects of the murder. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's always hard to um, figure out what's going through the mind of a, a killer. Uh, but um, maybe she was... Um muddied at the prospect of, you know, the $250,000 life insurance payout that she might have um, wanting to get. Maybe she just was one of these people who needs to think out loud. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, what we do know is that um, this, this picture of a, um, a woman who didn't like her husband, 
and wanted him out of the picture and, and was trying to think of the best way to do it mm. um, and, and then nearly did get away with it. So you mentioned that after Leanne's sort of groundwork trying to um, find some evidence uh, for the murder, it was actually the coroner's findings that tipped it over the edge. Um, what happened there? Yeah, so by this time... Um, Leanne Cartier is getting very frustrated that the cops aren't taking her seriously uh, at all. And um, But in the forum of a, a coronial inquest, she was able to um, raise her vast body of evidence that she had gathered. And um, when the coroner took a look at things, um, she agreed, but it didn't add up. And she, while she wasn't there to find any guilt, um, she couldn't find any... Um, she couldn't come to a conclusion that... Mr Nisbet had taken his own life and that was her ruling and, and then by then it had to go back to police to re-examine the, the facts of the case take another look at the file and which they did um, they, they brought in new, uh, very senior and very good detectives and um, they opened a homicide probe and um, started taking a fresh look at things Here is uh, Leanne again uh, she's talking about how the coroner's findings helped formal acknowledgement that then we had something, I had something to push. Um, you know, I was already writing a letter to someone within the police force to say, hey, here's the coroner's report. Um, you guys failed. We need this reopened. She's absolutely wonderful, Sue Johnson. You know, we met with her before the inquest. She took her time in doing her report. But she did it thoroughly and you know, it came out where the police had no option uh, to turn around and reinvestigate. This is Crimes NZ, and we're talking about the so-called Black Widow case. Um, with me is New Zealand Herald reporter Kurt Bayer in our Christchurch studio. Um, when did the case sort of come to your attention, Kurt? It was in that um, between time where the, the coroner had, had kicked it back to police and, and they were uh, looking at it and um, obviously the, they soon found glaring holes in it and Milner was um, living at a, uh, a different property now in Christchurch and I went and knocked her door. Um, she was you know, very much under suspicion. Um, she wasn't very happy when I turned up and um, she slammed the door on me. I asked her if she killed her husband and uh, she just exploded. Uh, she she <laughs> screamed at me to get off her property and that she was phoning the police. Um, not in those words. They're slightly more colourful than that. But To um, be fair, Kurt, I think if you turned up in most places and asked someone if the, she'd killed their husband, you'd get that sort of reaction. Probably fair, but... Um, <laughs> That's your job, of course. <laughs> it was my job, and within a couple of days she was arrested for murder. So. Yeah. Arrested and charged with murder in October 2011. Took a while for her to go on trial, though. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, there was uh, a lot of work to, to be done to make sure that they, they had a very strong case. And I think one of the first things that the police wanted to do um, was to find out where this Fennigan came from, which the first um, investigation didn't even look at. So they found out that um, a large box of Fennigan um, was bought at a Christchurch mall and it was bought by a woman um, under the name of... Um, Andrea Wilson, I think it was. Um, now, that's an interesting name as well because that Andrea woman um, was a real person who um, only a few years earlier had tried to poison her partner. And the cops also found that um, just 
a couple of minutes before this purchase was paid for in cash, um, Helen Milner, her bank card had been used at an ATM machine just a couple of metres away. Mm. So she, uh, well, it seems that she used the name of somebody who had poisoned their husbands to buy some poison to murder her own husband. Yeah, that's right. And, and of then, all the names you could choose. Yeah, you might have wanted to pick up a phone book or something um, <laughs> rather than do that, I'm not sure. But I guess the next thing was after she had it, she had to um, get him to take it. And uh, a large proportion of the trial was um, covering how she'd have to crush up these pills. Um, they had a very bitter taste. And how did she manage to disguise that? So there was a lot of evidence about how a strong curry would have been about right. And um, <laughs> we had evidence about police officers, um, you know, trying to different experiments on how perhaps you could disguise the bitter taste. Um, that's what it seems to have happened. Um, while nobody knows, apart from probably one or two people, she had crushed up these sedatives, um, slipped it into his evening meal, uh, he'd gone off to uh, bed and um, obviously extremely woozy and the, the Crown suggested at the time that she um, finished him off with a, a pillow um, over his face. Now, another twist to the story, she's actually already in prison at this time during her trial and and there's two previous convictions at play here. So one is she's been jailed for that um, matter we were talking about earlier for her framing her son. She got jailed for two years and eight months for that. Yeah, that's right. So um, she got she got jailed for setting up her son. Um, and she also had a, an earlier um, stint on Home D where this was afterwards as well, uh, from memory, after the um, Mr Nisbet's death. Uh, she'd stolen 29 grand from her workplace. She was a, an office administrator at a grounds maintenance company, uh, the place where her workmates called her the Black Widow. So yeah, she it certainly wouldn't have helped her helped her case um, f- from memory. I don't think the jury would have known about that. Um, they would have just had to concentrate on the on the on the murder trial. Mm. What? By the way, if you work with someone and you've nicknamed her the Black Widow, and then her husband dies in apparently mysterious circumstances, wouldn't you pick up the phone and tell the police about it? Yeah, you'd think so. Well, you definitely wouldn't be eating those muffins at morning tea, would you? Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that's why um, when Leanne Cartier came phoning, uh, they were pretty quick to um, spill the beans on her, you know, especially when uh, a family member has concerns that um, not all was well and that there might have been foul play then. Um, and fair play to those workmates. They did uh, turn up at court and, um, you know, in a pretty stressful situation and give evidence against um, Milner, which did lead to her being guilty and, and um, getting 17 years minimum in jail. What struck you about watching her in the dock? Yeah, it was a fascinating watch um, in a lot of ways. I mean, she could be anyone's mum. Um, she just, uh, the sort of conservative middle-aged woman with glasses um some people cruelly joked she looked a little bit like mrs doubtfire but sitting sitting there in court she she didn't give much away and you know every day uh, we'd have this explosive evidence and uh, mr nisbet's family and friends sitting in the back of the court you know just a few meters away it was um uh, she, which she never engaged with them or, or or looked at them very much but um 
It was just this unassuming figure. Um, you know, how, how could um, this person go to such cold-blooded lengths to um, get away from um, someone she didn't like? You never saw flashes of that woman who had yelled at you when you first showed up at her house a couple of years earlier? Oh, it was sort of one of those ones where you, you might get a glint in the eye perhaps when um, a, a certain piece of evidence came up, especially um, when uh, Leanne Cartier took the uh, stand. That was um, some pretty tense scenes, you know, they're only a few metres away. Um, and uh, Cartier had got into Milner's um, tight circle there and, and here she was accusing her of murder. So there were, there were certainly flashes there where um, you could see she was particularly angry. Mm. How did the police uh, approach the suicide notes at the trial? Yeah, that was um, pretty fascinating. So I don't think that they looked at them very hard in the first um, investigation. They obviously did in the second. And during the trial, um, I think there was evidence of up to four suicide notes at one point, which was kind of ridiculous. They were, um, you know, the the Crown said they were plainly faked um, and, and this was Milner trying to cover her tracks. Had they not done handwriting testing in the first investigation? No, it doesn't appear so. It, it looks like that those detectives in the first investigation looked at it straight away and thought it was a straight up and down suicide, and, and that was the problem. You know, they should have gone in there and um, at least looked at it as um, a suspicious death, um, if not a homicide, and then worked back from there. It's uh, a lot easier to to work back than 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 to um, ramp it up from from a suicide. Was it a jury trial? Yep, that's right. Absolutely, um, every murder in New Zealand's a jury trial. I can't remember the makeup of men and women, but um, it did take them some time to uh, come to their final conclusions. I think that was um, more to do with there was a couple. Um, of attempted murder charges as well, where it was suggested that she had tried um, to kill him earlier. They didn't manage to reach um, guilty verdicts on that, but on the, the main charge, the, the one of murder, um, they were unanimous. OK, and she was found guilty, and what happened next? Well, within hours of her being found guilty, the cops told me, in fact, the, the senior investigations manager, Detective Inspector Tom Fitzgerald, straight after the um, guilty... Uh, verdict came back. He told me that um, he admitted that the investigation, the first one, was badly flawed. Um, it wasn't treated as a homicide, uh, and that was a major mistake. So straight away, they, they put their hands up, and, and those um, officers in charge of the first investigation, had, um, they were dragged over the coals for it internally. And uh, you mentioned earlier she was sentenced to 17 years, but the story isn't over yet, Kurt. Yeah, it really is one of those ones that's just rumbled on and on. Um, so she appealed against her uh, sentence and conviction, um, failed, and she she's maintained her innocence throughout, I must say. Um, but now she's also trying to... Um, she's not given up, even though her avenues of appeal um, seem to have um, been... Um, extinguished. Um, the Court of Appeal has recently decided that um, uh, Milner had um, applied to get further scientific testing of her dead husband's body parts and um, the Court of Appeal has, has just granted that much to the um, fury of his family and uh, in particular Leanne Cartier. Yeah, 
so why does she want these samples? Well, she reckons that it'll um, back her case that um, she's innocent. Um, the body samples are held by the uh, ESR, the government institute that does the um, forensic scientific testing for the likes of the police in New Zealand. Um, and she hopes that um, the test results will show that um, she's innocent and could support an application to the Governor-General for an exercise of the royal prerogative of uh, mercy, which gives a special avenue for criminal cases to be reopened where a person may have been wrongly convicted or sentenced. You've come across that a few times. Uh, what do, what's been the Nisbet family's reaction to this request for samples and, in fact, you know, her being granted access to these samples? Well, they fought against it in court, and um, when the Court of Appeal came back and, and said um, that they'd ruled in favour of uh, Milner to, to at least have that testing done, Cartier felt it was a huge blow. They felt it was completely outrageous and unfounded, another unfounded goose chase. And also, they were disappointed that a, a convicted murderer had won this, and, and also the fact that um, you know Phil's last human remains are going to be disturbed again. I think that was um, something that uh, really upset them. And, and it just, as, as you said, the case goes on and on. Um, you know, where does it end? Disturbed again by the person found to have murdered him. They also noted that, that it might open the floodgates for other convicts um, wanting to make similar requests. Um, Kurt, what... <laughs> How will you remember this case? What, what is it about it that's been most memorable for you? I think the poisoning aspect is um, something that fascinates. You know, it's, it's sort of a plot out of Sherlock Holmes or something like that, isn't it? And, um, and the fact that um, she nearly got away with it, you know, um, and for a while there she must have thought she had. And that's one thing that um, Cartier always sort of told me that, you know, she used to get so wild that um, Milner looked so smug and she thought she was cleverer than everybody else. So I think it's the fact that it had so many different aspects to it, you know, the, the poisoning, the, the botched police case, these allegations of hitmen running around, and uh, <laughs> um, it just, yeah, had everything. Thanks for listening to Crimes NZ. I'm Jesse Mulligan. You can catch more of me every afternoon on RNZ National around 101FM in New Zealand or listen to the show live at rnz.co.nz. If you're looking for another podcast, don't go past the RNZ podcast page on our website. You'll find news podcasts like the award-winning The Detail, human interest podcasts like Generation COVID and much more too. All of our podcasts are on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. 